Thank you for your love tonight. We thank you for your commitment to our lives. We thank you that you not only save, but then you begin a miracle of your Holy Spirit in changing our lives and making us into a completely new creation and allowing us to discover that day by day and week by week. We do not want to be conformed to this world. We have no interest, Lord, in being the product of our own wisdom or conforming processes. We want to continue to be made into the person that you want us to be. And we pray that you would use your word tonight by your Holy Spirit to continue that glorious work of sanctification and Christ-likeness in each one of our lives. Just as you have lifted our heads in song, Lord, now we ask that you would continue to lift our heads in off of the uh, graphicness and the uh, strength and the power, the pull of, uh, of the uh, temporary things that are going on all around us and put our gaze completely upon you, Lord, and upon the things that are eternal. Jesus, you said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And we've discovered it to be true. We'd rather give up the daily bread than to uh, lose, Lord, what we know, even as we've sung about in the garden and what happens there, than that what happens in our relationship with you. Continue that work of your Holy Spirit tonight, we pray, in each of us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good evening to you. Jeremiah chapter 29 this evening. If you're with us tonight without a Bible, as usual, there's guys coming down the aisles right now with Bibles. Just wave to them. They'll put one in your hand, and you'll be able to follow along, try to cover a larger section of Scripture on the Sunday nights, and, and then the Word of God comes in both the ear gate and the eye gate. So just wave to them if you need one, and please, if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from us to you uh, tonight. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29 and uh, verse 1. Now, these are the words uh, of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom, whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to uh, Babylon. Uh, as we get a little bit later into the book of uh, Jeremiah, in fact, in the latter chapter or so of it, uh, in, as we've seen as we've been going through it, Nebuchadnezzar ultimately conquered the city of Jerusalem three times. At this particular point in, in the record, he has already conquered Jerusalem once and stripped away uh, uh, several thousand of their most uh, skilled and educated people in order to take them to Babylon for the advancement of the uh, Babylonian kingdom. And having taken this several thousand of Jews into Babylon, uh, some that had been taken away uh, there uh, numbered among the prophets and among the priests in Jerusalem. We remember from last time that Jeremiah is dealing with a problem in Jerusalem. He is in Jerusalem proper, and he is 
uh, fighting against, not in a carnal kind of way, but he's resisting the false prophets who are in Jerusalem who are telling all of the people, contrary to what Jeremiah is declaring, and that is that Nebuchadnezzar is not going to conquer uh, Jerusalem again, but in fact, in two years, Babylon is going to fall, and all of the captives are going to come back to Jerusalem along with all of the articles that were taken uh, from the temple. So these people have now gone, uh, a, a group of these kind of people with this mindset and prophets that are believing this is from God, have now gone to Babylon, and they're telling the Jews there uh, that, listen, the the same thing, Jerusalem is not going to fall, Uh, our captivity is only going to be a couple of years at the most, Babylon will fall, and then we will return to the land along with uh, the instruments that were taken from the temple. And in some cases, the prophets in Babylon were uh, so sure of, of Babylon uh, collapsing that they were evidently encouraging the Jewish people uh, to kind of build into a band to resist the Babylonian government. So uh, Jeremiah gets wind of this. He's aware of that, and because he has a heart for the Jewish people and God wants to use him to correct not only the false prophets in Jerusalem who are saying this, but also the prophets that are saying the same thing in Babylon, uh, he then uh, drafts this letter and, uh, that is recorded here and has it sent uh, to uh, the Jews in Babylon so they can know exactly what's happening. And all of this, he says in verse 2, happened after Jeconiah the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, Uh, In in other words, the royal household, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. These were all people Nebuchadnezzar had stripped away in in the first conquest of uh, Judah and and, uh, uh, Jerusalem. And the letter that was sent by the hand of Elisha and uh, uh, Gemariah, uh, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying… So what's going on here is that Zedekiah is now the king of Judah. He's the final king before they're ultimately overthrown for the final time by Babylon. And he sends Elisa and Gemara to Babylon with evidently correspondence from Judah to Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, Zedekiah was a vassal king, apparently with communication saying, hey, we're, we're being good boys and girls out here. We're not going to rebel against you. We're being good kind of vassal parts of the Babylonian empire and, and to kind of appease the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, in that way. And apparently, uh, Elisa and Gemara, they were sympathetic to Jeremiah and his ministry because Jeremiah finds out that they're going to Babylon and says, oh, by the way, would you carry this letter from the Lord to the captives in Babylon? And so that's how he got the letter from uh, Jerusalem to Babylon. You remember Jeremiah, they weren't too hip to him leaving (laughs) Jerusalem at this point in time, thinking that it would uh, surely identify him as being uh, uh, treasonous and a traitor to the country, uh, given the prophecies that he was declaring. And here's the letter. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away captive, 
whom I have caused to be carried away uh, from Jerusalem to Babylon. In other words, God communicates through this prophecy, ladies and gentlemen uh, of the Jewish people in Babylonian captivity, you are not there because of anything supremely that Babylon has done uh, or that you're going to overthrow anything, anything like that. Uh, you are, I am the cause of your captivity. Don't forget that. You're up against me, not Babylon. And then the encouragement to build houses and dwell in them. Jeremiah declares to them, plant gardens and eat their fruit. Well, you know, that's a long-term kind of thing. When you plant stuff and, and uh, for fruit to become uh, mature and so forth, take wives and beget sons and daughters. Go ahead while you're in Babylon. Don't wait to come back to Jerusalem to have your wedding here. You're not going to be here for a long time. Uh, go ahead and marry, do the common uh, things in life, take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be uh, increased there and not diminished. The two things that they needed to focus upon in the captivity was not trying to end the Babylonian captivity. The Babylonian captivity was intended by God to shape them up, to cure them of their sin and their hypocrisy and their idolatry. There was a purpose for it. And so God essentially tells them, listen, learn the lessons for why you are in the pickle you are in. Make that the focus, not rebelling against the circumstances that you're in. Why are you in the circumstance that you're in? And get that figured out and right between uh, you and me. So they, they weren't going to dodge learning the lesson that they were supposed to for the, the captivity that they were in. And then number two, they needed to increase in number because they were going to come back into the land. And remember, related to the Jewish people at this time, God has attached uh, to the nation of Israel and to the Jewish people a promise that He is going to bring a Savior, a Messiah, into the world through them. And they have just about thrown all of that away with their nonsense and their sin and their frivolity and all. And so God hasn't forgotten about that. He's still going to do that. But He doesn't want them to disappear as a people in the 70 years that they're in captivity. He says, marry, have children, keep increasing in number, don't be diminished. Uh, you're going to return to the land, which He speaks about in a moment. And then He said, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. Don't rebel against Babylon, uh, its capital or uh, its empire. I've put you there, and I didn't put you there uh, to rebel. I put you there to learn uh, what you wouldn't otherwise learn. And then pray for that uh, city that you're in for the, uh, to the Lord for it, uh, for in its peace uh, you will have peace. We see a similar encouragement to us in the New Testament that we are to pray for our leaders. We're to pray uh, that as a result of the leadership of whatever country we're in in the whole world, this is a universal command to Christians, that uh, God would lead the leaders of our country or any country into making decisions that would allow us to live our lives peacefully as Christians and in a way that will allow us to advance the kingdom of God wherever He has uh, put us. So we aren't in any kind of a Babylonian captivity as Christians right now, but we are very far from home. Heaven is our home, and there's a world of difference between the earth and, and heaven, and we're headed there, but 
while we're getting there, we are to be an influence for good, an influence for stability, an influence for righteousness, not for anarchy, not for unrighteousness, wherever it is that God uh, has uh, put us. And so this uh, encouragement that uh, He gives to them uh, here, He said, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst, these false prophets that had gone to Babylon as well, don't let them deceive you or lie to you, uh, nor listen to your dreams which you cause uh, to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Don't believe this nonsense that this is going to be over in two years and you guys are coming back. Uh, that is not from me. For thus says the Lord, here's the truth about this situation, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, that's how long you're going to be there, uh, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. So the bad news, so to speak, is you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. And they were. And there was a reason for it. They had denied the land its uh, 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 Sabbath, uh, Sabbath year rest for 490 years in defiance of the law of Moses. They owed the, uh, God uh, the rest of the land, rest in the land for 70 years. God was going to get it because they were unwilling to do it uh, in, a, you know, in, a, in a, a yielded way to cooperate related to it. And so you're going to be there for that length of time, but you're not going to be there any longer than that. Uh, he, and as he speaks here about his good word toward them, and I'm going to cause you to return to this place. Seventy years, but you will come uh, back. For I know the thoughts that I think uh, toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. One of the great famous uh, verses uh, in the Bible, in the, in the book of uh, Jeremiah. So, what the Lord communicates here in this very famous verse, and there's probably a hundred sermons, a hundred different ways that you can preach from it, and all of it would be uh, wonderful. But it's in, in its strictest kind of uh, context, God is revealing His heart toward them that despite all of their sin and all of the judgment and discipline that He's been forced now uh, to meet out upon them, uh, and that they're in this awful predicament that they're in because of their own sin. And, and it isn't because God stopped loving them. Uh, God had loved them through all of uh, uh, the whole miserable circumstance that uh, they were, had put themselves in and put God in as well. And the indicate, what he's communicating is that I am chastening you here simply because I do love you. I want to purify you of your, your idolatry, your sin, your rebellion, uh, so that I can then bless you as fully in the future as I want to, to bless you. And uh, sometimes the, uh, the Lord shows His love and His concern for us uh, in, in the same way that human parents ought to. Uh, they don't always do it, but they should do it. And it's not always by making things easiest for our children. Uh, one of the great definitions of agape love, agape speaking of the love that comes from the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, is that agape love always does what's best for the other person. 
And uh, what is best for the other person is not always what is easiest for the other person. What is best for me so often is not always what I like or what I want to have happen. And uh, sometimes it can be very, uh, very hard. And that's why parents and raising our children, we look at them and we say, I'm not supposed to be their big friend or their big pal or uh, whatever it might be. I have a, a responsibility before God to do what is best uh, for them, to show love in this strong way. And, and as it's de defined in our culture today, of course, there's no strength in love. It's all just syrupy. It's all emotion. It has no action. It will never do the hard thing. Love is being redefined today within our culture, but that's not how it's uh, uh, described in the Bible. Uh, God's love can be very much tough love, and, but it is, none, it is love nonetheless, and, uh, and that's what's required to develop children, that's us, with good character and with godly character. Uh, when we raise our children and they come of age and they have good character and they have godly character, it's because uh, parents have loved them enough uh, to do what is not just easiest for them and will make the parent popular, but what is best for this person to now develop the character to be successful in navigating a very fallen world that they're going to have to navigate uh, for the rest of uh, their life. And so, uh, you know, I don't know about you, as we, Karen and I were raising our children, it, it was love that made us discipline them. Otherwise, we would just, if I didn't love them, it would just be, go do whatever you want. Go for it. Hurry on. Hell ain't half full. You'll find a great place there and, and uh, in, in it and all. We wouldn't care one bit about uh, wh what they did. But because we do love them, we're willing to uh, discipline and then to train them. All of this comes out, the writer of the book of Hebrews draws uh, heavily at times from the book of, of Jeremiah, and uh, in this vein, uh, the writer says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges uh, every son whom he receives. It might be the main way that uh, I know that God loves me is because how diligent he is to chasten me all of the time. I don't, I don't sense a group, uh, kind of a big group hug with him a lot in my life, uh, but he does uh, show his interest in my life in keeping me in line. Again, Hebrews, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful, and it's true. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so God reassures them of the fact, yeah, it's a mess. It looks like I don't love you because I have not only allowed this to happen, but I have put you in this place. But it is love that has caused it to happen so that you can uh, endure some difficulty on the short term so that I can then uh, bless you on uh, the longer term. And then you will call, uh, and then you will call upon me, verse 12, and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me, uh, speaking about what they'll learn from this captivity, uh, when you search for me with all of your heart. So the worship in Jerusalem was all hypocrisy, it was all phony, and 
Religion was in high gear at the time that all of this was going on, but the private life was anything but uh, obedient to the Lord. And so the Lord said, listen, you, you know, in this Babylonian captivity, you're going to learn what you lost sight of so long ago, and that is to be sincere in a relationship with me. No more hypocrisy. It, you know, what it is is what it is in, in, the, in a relationship, and then you're going to seek me uh, wholeheartedly. And so so uh, this says, this is what you're there to learn, and at the end of it, you'll be cured of that. And, it, and I've mentioned it before, but it is interesting in terms of the Babylonian captivity. The Babylonian captivity cured the Jews of idolatry. Uh, they wanted to have idols. They wanted to kind of play with idolatry in Jerusalem, still have the Lord and have the side of their life where they did the idol kind of thing. And God said, all right, you like idols so much, I will send you to idolatry central. It's called Babylon. See how you like it when it's all you can breathe in the physical and emotional, mental, spiritual atmosphere of the city. Go ahead and live in it and not just dabble in it and then tell me what you think about it. And in 70 years, it cured them of it. And to this very day, they are many things, and they're very far from God. But in terms of idolatry expressed in this way, the Babylonian captivity cured them. And sometimes that's just the way the Lord does it in our life. Oh, you want to dabble with that? You think you're Mr. Big Shot? You think you can control and all this? All right, I'll let you immerse yourself in it. And... Uh, and go all the way down into the depths of it. You think it's so great. And then, boom, we get there, and we're like the prodigal son way out there, you know, longing to have what we left with God and so forth. And, and it's effective. And, you, and we don't have to fall off the end of the earth to experience it in our own life. We all deal with these kind of, of things. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all of the nations and from all places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you uh, to the place which I cause you to be carried away captive. So he restates the promise. And you imagine, here they are 70 years before they find out here. They don't know whether they're going they, in their mind, uh, except for the false prophecies, in their mind, they're thinking, we're done, we're cooked, we've blown it, we will never be in the land of Israel again, we will be absorbed by the nations around us, the Jewish people will cease to exist. So this message coming in uh, of a future and a hope was a, a tremendous blessing to those that uh, really wanted to hear from God. Because uh, you have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us uh, in Babylon, and uh, the, uh, therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David concerning all the people who dwell in this city, Jerusalem, and concerning your brethren who have not gone out with you into captivity. So the captives that are in Babylon, what they're looking at is, in, put yourself in their shoes and be like, how come I'm among the several thousand that God taken off to Babylon, and all of them get to stay in beautiful Israel, in Jerusalem? What gives here? And, and there would be a, uh, a jealousy related to it. There, could, there would also be a wondering. Here we are in Babylon, and they're wondering in their minds, what's going to happen to Jerusalem? What's going to happen to the Jewish people there? And the Lord lets them know. And therefore, thus says the Lord again concerning 
the king and the people and their brethren uh, who didn't go into captivity like they did. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will send on them the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and will make them like rotten figs that cannot be eaten. They are so bad morally. That's how low they will go. And I will pursue them with a sword, with famine, with pestilence, and I will deliver them uh, to trouble among all the nations of the earth, to be a curse and astonishment, a hissing and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. And so, uh, okay, you're wondering what's going to happen in uh, Jerusalem, and you think you got a raw deal, and then they hear this and they go, I'm so glad I was taken captive to Babylon. It's going to be much worse uh, for them. Here's the reason behind the judgment restated, because they have not heeded my words, says the Lord, which I sent to them by my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them and neither would you heed, uh, says the Lord. And therefore, hear the word of the Lord, all of you of the captivity whom I have sent from Jerusalem uh, to Babylon. And so here you're curious about this, and, and, I, uh, and I am answering uh, your curiosity. And thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of uh, Israel concerning Ahab and Zedekiah. Uh, they were two uh, evidently religious leaders that had gone into captivity in Babylon. They were also false prophets, as we'll see in just a moment. God has a specific uh, prophecy for them, but He delivers it to the whole group of people so that they don't follow what these guys are saying. And He declares, uh, He names them by name here, and de then declares that uh, who prophesy a lie to you in My name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will slay them before your eyes. So these guys are apparently two of the chief prophets that are telling the people, uh, two years, it's all going to be overthrown, and maybe we can be involved in uh, leading an insurrection of kind of the Jewish battalion against the Babylonian empire to overthrow it, and then the whole group of Jews would be crushed by Bab uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. But they're, they're giving this prophetic lie. The Lord just names them by name. He outs them and then says Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill them, and not only kill them, uh, but will kill them before your own uh, eyes. And in, in, in this, why would they get Nebuchadnezzar's attention? Uh, because somehow Nebuchadnezzar viewed them as being a threat to the peace of Babylon. They are stirring up, evidently, the Jewish people uh, to uh, be uncooperative citizens of the Babylonian uh, empire. And because, verse 22, of them a curse shall be taken up by all the captivity of Judah who are in Babylon, when you see what's going to happen to these guys, uh, the way you want to curse somebody that's doing you wrong, uh, you'll say, the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. You ever think about ways you don't want to die? That's right up there, isn't it? Nebuchadnezzar had a thing about fire, didn't he? Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they would not bow down and worship the great image that he had made. And so he throws them alive into the fiery furnace, and it had no effect upon them because the Lord met with them miraculously in that fire and delivered them. 
But these gentlemen did not have that kind of favor with God. Evidently, as some kind of a punishment, uh, Nebuchadnezzar ordered them to be thrown into the fire. Verse 23, because they have done disgraceful things in Israel, have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives. Imagine a prophet uh, speaking for God, and this is your uh, activity, and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know and am a witness says the Lord. Now, one of the things that's important to learn here is never, ever receive a word from the Lord or spiritual counsel from anyone who claims to speak for God and is living this kind of life or deliberately willful, sinful life against God because that kind of person has either grieved or quenched the Holy Spirit, if not seared their conscience at that particular point in time to be able to live the kind of life that they're living, think nothing of committing adultery as priests with their neighbors' wives, and, and then to get up and to speak for God. And so, be careful who you listen to. If the life is not holy, if you don't have a sense that they meet with the Lord in the garden, as we have sung here uh, tonight, then don't give heed to any, thus saith the Lord, uh, from that person. They were leading uh, the people of Judah astray and leading them into danger, and their danger to God's purposes through even the Jews in captivity was significant enough that God said, no, I'm not going to wait the 70 years related to these guys to shape up. I'm going to remove uh, their influence. I, I'm going to allow them uh, to be destroyed. And you shall also speak uh, to uh, Shemaiah, uh, the Nehelamite, uh, saying. So, uh, this Shemaiah was in uh, Babylon in, as a part of the captivity, and uh, he apparently uh, hears this message that comes from Jeremiah telling the children of Israel in Babylon, settle down, uh, build houses, marry, and, uh, and, and so forth, and, and plant your, your orchards and, and so forth. You're going to be there for a while. And uh, Shemaiah, instead of heeding what God had said through Jeremiah, he sends a letter back to Jerusalem and says, what in the world are you doing allowing that nutcase Jeremiah to still be saying things like this and writing things like this from Jeremiah? He is undermining our credibility, the credibility of our prophets here in Babylon. And, of course, you want to undermine the credibility of, of false prophets. They're not to have any credibility, but this is what the guy does. He apparently has connections still in uh, uh, Jerusalem, so he, he kind of scoots this letter out to say, would somebody please arrest Jeremiah and stop him from prophesying and sending these letters? Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, as Jeremiah speaks to this man on behalf of the Lord, you have sent letters in your name. Everybody know the Lord reads our mail? No, no, I sealed it up, put a stamp on it, and it got there without… He reads our emails. He reads our Facebook accounts. He reads everything. There are no secrets uh, with God. The Bible says your sin 
will uh, find uh, you out. And so this guy thinks he's doing this secret thing behind Jeremiah's back, and God says, you're doing it in my living room. There's no secret in the universe. You have sent letters in your name to all of the people who were at Jerusalem, to Zephaniah, uh, the son of Maasai, the priest, and to all of the priests. And here's what you said. The Lord has made you priest instead of Jehoiada, the priest. So he writes to Zephaniah, apparently has a relationship with him, and says, here now, from this distance, he's from Babylon. He's bossing people around in Jerusalem. And he says, listen, Zephaniah, I now make you the priest instead of Jehoiada the, uh, the, the priest so that there should be officers in the house of the Lord over every man who is demented and considers himself a prophet that you should put him in prison and in stocks. And apparently, uh, Zephaniah was over kind of the police force related to the temple at that time, and he's saying, listen, we got to get somebody in a position here that will arrest these people like Jeremiah that are saying these things, and so I give you the promotion. And now, therefore, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, who makes himself uh, a prophet uh, to you? So he calls for Jeremiah to be arrested, uh, arrested and imprisoned in his letter. For he is sent to us in Babylon, saying, This captivity is long. Build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, and eat their fruit. Now Zephaniah the priest, he read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. So uh, 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 Shemaiah didn't count on this. Uh, Zephaniah gets the letter, and for some reason he calls Jeremiah in and says, hey, listen, this is, these are the kind of letters we're getting out of Babylon concerning you uh, right now. And then the Lord, uh, Jeremiah hearing this, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, send all those in captivity saying, thus says the Lord, tell all of the children of Israel in captivity, thus says the Lord concerning uh, Shemaiah, because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, and I have not sent him, and he has caused you to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will punish Shemaiah and his family, and he shall not have anyone to dwell among his people, nor shall he see the good that I will do for my people, that is, returning them back to the land, says the Lord, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord. And so he said the family, Shemaiah and his family, they would not outlive the Babylonian captivity and return to the land. And so uh, God, I mean, he can, he can raise the stakes related to this stuff. It is interesting today. Sometimes I wonder, I mean, there's so many uh, false prophets speaking for the Lord today. I mean, I think about Joseph Smith and, and uh, Mormonism. I think about uh, Jehovah Witnesses and, and then just so many goofy things where uh, they're, they're people are not necessarily a part of a cult, but they're just saying all kinds of nonsense uh, on behalf of the Lord. I was listening to a Bible study tape this week, and I was really mortified. This guy gave a prophecy to someone, and there's just no way that 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 is from the Lord, and, and, the, and I'm just, and, and he thinks it's kind of a game, and I'm saying to myself, I sing it out loud, I'm on my bike, I say, you can't say that to people. You, you can't do that. 
You can't, you can't represent God in that way. You can't say God is going to do what you're saying God is going to do because he doesn't have to do that. You're going to undermine the faith of people by saying things like that when God then doesn't do what you're saying he's going to do, and clearly he's not going to do it. And this kind of stuff goes on all the time. And sometimes I just wonder, Lord, why do you, why do you take these guys out and so many others, you know, just… Uh, continue. And uh, I don't know, the Lord has some kind of a, of a, a grid that He runs it through in heaven and, uh, and taking care of it. Boy, there's going to be hell to pay one day um, in terms of what, uh, uh, how God uh, gets misrepresented and what's said uh, on, uh, on His behalf. I am so thankful to just stick with the Bible and teach the Bible and declare what it has to say and uh, not do a song and dance. I, I have, I've had people through the years come up to me and say, you know, you stay too tight with the Bible. I mean, you've got to get a few more stories. We need to know a little bit more about your personal life and so forth and, and all of this. And, you know, deviate away from it a little bit more. Hey, listen, I don't trust what I might say if I begin to do that. I'm as goofy as Shemaiah uh, ever dreamed of being. And uh, so uh, the Word is the safe place. Read it, explain it, apply it, and then if you want to go hear goofy stuff, you can do it on your own. But uh, I'm not going to have that uh, blood on my, on my head. As we get here into chapters uh, 30 through 33, these, uh, these chapters contain prophecies about the future restoration of uh, the nation of Israel. In the context of, uh, of this, these prophecies, uh, Jeremiah uh, declares them uh, at a time in which Nebuchadnezzar is right outside with his army. He has completely conquered Judah. Uh, the only city that has left to defeat is the city of Jerusalem. Everybody is starving to death. There is disease everywhere. Zedekiah and his people are holding out until, uh, until the point of starvation and so forth within the city. In other words, it is as bleak as bleak can be. I mean, it, it, there's no good news that's coming to them uh, at all in light uh, of their uh, condition. Things simply could not be worse than what they are uh, in the, the, the middle of. And, uh, and, the, and so, here the Lord comes in the middle of all of this and in these prophecies in chapters 30 through 33, and God gives them a message, even in the mess that they're in, in the rebellion, a message of hope uh, of a future restoration of Israel uh, in the land lets them know this is going to be messy. It's going to be bad. I am judging you. You will not get out from under it, uh, but there is a hope for the future. And so you imagine what that, this message would have meant to people, or ought to have meant to people, probably didn't, but should have, is that this defeat of, of, of Jerusalem and Judah, that's not going to be the final say. One of the things I love about God is that He does seem to love a happy ending to a story and to each of our lives as well, and He's willing to do whatever's necessary uh, to lead us into uh, the life and into uh, His will that always does have a happy ending. And so He lets them know here just about when all hope would be lost, even in their rebellious condition, how gracious He is uh, with them and with us uh, to let them know that there will be a restoration into the land. 
uh, as we uh, study these chapters, it's very, very important to realize what we, the same thing that we, uh, we recognized about an earlier section of prophecy in the book of Jeremiah, and that is that very often God's prophecies have a twofold fulfillment. Uh, most of the prophecies of the Bible either have a near fulfillment, they address a specific point in time, and they're fulfilled. And that, that circumstance, that prophecy is done, it's fulfilled, it's in the fulfilled category. Uh, or there'll be a far fulfillment, like so much of the prophecies within the, the Bible, talking about the end times, and we see those being fulfilled by the day today, but not all of them are fulfilled. Those prophecies have an, a, 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 a far fulfillment. But then there are these uh, sections of Scripture in the Bible that have both a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment, and we come uh, into that kind of a section here in Jeremiah. The near fulfillment of these chapters has to do with the, their immediate circumstances involving Babylon and the Babylonian captivity. The far and the complete fulfillment has to do with an even more painful chapter that is going to occur in the lives of the Jewish people in the nation of Israel uh, in the future, and that is known as the Great Tribulation, which will then uh, give way ultimately uh, to the kingdom age. We know it also as the thousand-year reign of Christ or the millennial kingdom, and we're going to see this in play uh, throughout the chapters. Just so you don't have to take my word for it before we get there, some of you are have a very, uh, you know, linear in your thinking, and you'll say, well, where in the world does he get all of this uh, thing that he's just told us? Go to verse 24, the very end of the chapter, the final line within the chapter, in the latter days you will consider it or you will understand it. So this is talking about uh, the near circumstances related to the Babylonian captivity and so forth, but it also has a far fulfillment to the end of uh, the age, and that these things will be understood more clearly at the end of the age. The word that came to Jeremiah, verse 1, from the Lord, saying, Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel. Write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. The fact that God causes Jeremiah here to write this prophecy down is, again, an evidence of the fact that this has a fulfillment far in the future. Uh, this isn't going to be an oral prophecy uh, that can be spoken to a generation. It will happen within that generation. It needs to be written down because it's going to be fulfilled uh, out there beyond uh, the lifetime and lifespan of, of Jeremiah. And so write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave uh, to their fathers, and they shall uh, possess it. And so uh, their future is going to involve a restoration to the land, the Lord uh, declares. Jeremiah told here to uh, write all of it down. The near and the partial fulfillment uh, of this speaks to uh, Israel's uh, the children of Israel's return back into the land following their Babylonian captivity led by 
uh, Ezra and uh, following the decree by King Cyrus, uh, the head of the Medo-Persian Empire, which is going to defeat the Babylonian Empire to allow the Jews to return. And all of that happened following uh, the overthrow uh, of the Babylonian Empire after the 70 years of captivity. The far and the complete fulfillment of what Jeremiah writes here has to do with the fact that Israel would become a nation again at the end of the age, in the latter times. Uh, May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation uh, once again. And then it's speaking also then into the kingdom age. It's talking about a period when following the great tribulation period. The tribulation is known as a seven-year period of God pouring His wrath out upon a Christ-rejecting world. Uh, Twenty years ago, you would look at things and you would say, boy, everybody's so nice in the world. Why would God want to judge it? And then now, twenty years later, here we're going, I think I'm understanding why He may judge this whole mess someday, especially given how quickly we're plunging into rebellion against His, His commandments and just what's going on in terms of sin in, in all directions and, and, and so forth. And so, uh, God is going to, during that seven-year period, it'll be a period of Him pouring out His wrath, but it is the final half of that uh, seven years, the three and a half years, the final three and a half years that constitutes what's called the Great Tribulation. It happens after the Jews uh, rebuild their temple during the uh, tribulation period, uh, allowed by the Antichrist to do that. At the mid-mark of the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist shows his true colors to them, walks into the completed temple, walks into the Holy of Holies, and declares himself to be God and demands to be worshipped as God. The Jews will realize immediately that they've been deceived by this man, and uh, they will then begin to flee for their life into the countryside and into the surrounding nations, and the Antichrist will then endeavor to destroy them uh, as a people. But following that uh, great tribulation comes the kingdom age, the return of the Jews from their dispersion into the world uh, as a result of the persecution of the Antichrist, and that causes them to go into uh, a, a desolation, as it, it's spoken about here, and, and uh, out into Petra and beyond and so forth, and be brought back into their land. Um, so, uh, he says, now, these are the words that the Lord spoke, verse 4, concerning Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord, we have heard uh, a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with a child. How many of you saw the article this week that in the United States of America, apparently it was in an English newspaper, we now have a man uh, pregnant with a child, but uh, the Bible was written long before uh, the technology today that in, in a, he's not really a man. He's transitioning and uh, still able to… It's a woman that wants to be a man and looks like a man and is pregnant with her second child. So, but this is back when life was simpler uh, for people. And uh, ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with a child. We don't have the plumbing for uh, carrying a child and so forth. That is, uh, that is the privilege and, 
the responsibility uh, of a woman. And, and he says, so why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor and all faces turned uh, pale? He's talking about the soldiers that are, uh, are facing Babylon, the Babylonians uh, in battle. Also, what's going to happen, the fear that's going to grip people's heart when the Antichrist begins to meet his punishment out against the Jews. Even the bravest of men are going to be incapacitated on a level that a woman is incapacitated uh, while giving birth to a child. Uh, the, 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 uh, that's what's going to, to, to grip them. Alas, for that day is great so that none is like it. It is the time of Jacob's uh, trouble. And so this is the, the, the definition, uh, one of the great definitions of the tribulation period is, is that it's the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it, for it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. And so the near fulfillment here, talking about an unspeakable time of difficulty that was going to come upon uh, the Jewish nation known as Jacob's trouble, the near fulfillment was again the slaughter at the hands of uh, Babylon, and just the sheer horror of it will, call, will cripple and paralyze the, the bravest of, uh, of men. And, uh, and the far fulfillment of all of this is going to be their slaughter at the hands of the Antichrist, again referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, Jacob is, uh, refers to Israel. Israel is made up of the 12 tribes that come from the 12 sons of Jacob. So it's referring to uh, the nation of Israel. The tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period, does not have, its focus is not upon uh, the church. The focus is upon the Jews and, and, and uh, the Jewish people and bringing them to come to recognize Jesus as their Messiah and then at the same time bringing a very merited judgment uh, upon uh, the earth. And so often you see today, and it's very, very common, it's called replacement theology, and it's very widespread within uh, certain denominations or, or portions of the body of Christ where the replacement theology says that you can take all of the verses that have to do with Israel in the Scriptures, and God isn't interested in Israel anymore, and all of those promises uh, apply to the church. But when you study uh, eschatology or the study of end times in the Bible a little bit more carefully than that, you realize that God has a very different end time scenario for the church uh, than the one that He has with uh, the, the, the 12 tribes of Israel and, uh, and, and Jacob here as He's described. And so, Ultimately, uh, in the far fulfillment, uh, the Jews are going to be saved out of this persecution by the Antichrist. They will be released from uh, their bondage and enslavement in the foreign uh, nations, and then at the start 
of the kingdom age following the second coming of Christ and Jesus coming down upon that Mount of Olives by way of the battle of Armageddon and then establishing Jerusalem as the headquarters for this thousand-year reign of Christ, then they will come pouring back into the land, and they will uh, once again, we're told here, serve, verse 9, the Lord and uh, David their king. And so, that takes us to the far fulfillment. It's interesting in verse 9 when it talks about uh, serving the Lord and David their king, uh, most commentators uh, declare this to be a reference to Jesus as the Messiah reigning from Jerusalem because he is uh, a descendant of, of the seed of David as the Scriptures prophesied that he would be uh, on the physical side in terms of the miraculous of his birth and his, his life. But there are other people who look at this and believe that uh, the actual King David uh, will uh, rule in Jerusalem, certainly under Jesus at that time. During the kingdom age, the thousand-year reign of Christ, for us as Christians, there's, we, we, the Bible says that we will rule and reign with Him. We will have a new eternal bodies. Our eternity is covered. This is all taken care of. We will rule and reign with Him. And, uh, you, and, and we will be who He uses to enforce His righteousness and His laws and, and so forth and His blessing upon the world at that time. And there is uh, kind of the hint related to the prophecies and the teachings in the gospel uh, that each of us will be, uh, you know, placed in a different part of the world that we rule in based upon the faithfulness of of uh, our faithfulness to the ministry that God has called us to uh, now. And so, some of you may rule over Hawaii. We don't know that Hawaii will survive the Great Tribulation. A lot of islands disappear during that period or whatever it will be, but each of us will rule and reign somewhere as servants of the Lord. And uh, it, would, it would actually be… it's interesting at least to think about uh, that uh, King David, in the light of his life and his ministry, that Jerusalem is already out for the rest of us, uh, that Jesus, that will be the center of his uh, kingdom, but the city itself, that David will be the one that will uh, rule and reign uh, there. So, if you were thinking you were going to get Jerusalem, you can just go, rats, that's not going to happen, you know. Um, and therefore, Uh, He goes on in verse 10, Do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest, and be quiet, and no one will make him afraid. For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all the nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. But I will correct you in justice, and you and will not let you go altogether unpunished. For thus says the Lord, your affliction is incurable, your wound is severe, there is no one to plead your cause, that you may be bound up, you have no healing medicine, all your lovers have forgotten you, uh, they do not seek you, for I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one for the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. Why do you cry about your affliction? Your sorrow is incurable. 
because of the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased, I have done these things to you. And therefore, all of those who devour you will be devoured, and all of your adversaries, every one of them shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall become plunder, and all who prey upon you I will make a prey, for I will restore health to you and to heal you of your wounds, says the Lord, because they called you an outcast, saying, uh, this is Zion, uh, no one uh, seeks her. And so here uh, God describes the, uh, His chastening of them, that following His chastening of uh, Israel and Judah, that He will then chase their enemies and that He will heal uh, the wounds of, of Judah. The near fulfillment of that God judged the Babylonians following the Babylonian captivity. Uh, they fell to the Medes and the Persians. God did not make an end of the Jews, as, uh, despite almost being wiped out in such large numbers by uh, the Babylonians. Uh, they did not cease to exist as a nation or a people, and, uh, and ultimately they did return uh, to the land. The far fulfillment related to that prophecy is that God is going to wipe out all of Israel's enemies in the battle of uh, Armageddon, and they will all gather together in that valley and, uh, and uh, ready really to fight one another and, and united in their persecution of the Jews during uh, the great tribulation, and Jesus will come in in one sweep in the valley, uh, uh, in the valley of Megiddo, and He will wipe them out uh, in that battle. Uh, the healing that will occur is described in verse 18, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwelling places. The city will be built upon its own mound, and the palace shall remain according to its own plan. And then out of them shall proceed thanksgiving, and the voice of those who make merry. I will multiply them, and they shall not diminish. I will also glorify them, and they shall not be small. Their children also shall be before them, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish uh, all who oppress them. Their nobles shall be from uh, among them, and their governor shall come from their midst, and then I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this who, is, has, who pledged his heart to approach me, says the Lord? You shall be my people, and I will be your God. And so these verses describe the conditions uh, that will be characterized uh, for the Jews supremely. Yes, they describe on a near and partial fulfillment the return of the Jews from Babylonian captivity back into the land. But the far fulfillment here, a description of the condition of the Jew during the kingdom age, the thousand-year uh, reign of Christ. Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. Joy, prosperity is going uh, to uh, occur. God's going to protect them, and, and, uh, and God's going to be honored uh, by all. Verse 21 is important to uh, notice a, a, a little bit before we uh, leave it behind. Uh, again, their nobles shall be from among them, and their governor shall come from their midst. And it's important that phrase, shall come from their midst. 
then I will cause him to draw near, and then very significant this phrase, and he shall approach me. And so the uh, restoration, when this prophecy occurs in, it, in its fullest, in its, in its uh, far fulfillment, uh, nothing, nothing about verse 21 was fulfilled when they returned to Israel following the Babylonian captivity. Uh, the restoration that's being spoken about here is going to reach its climax with the rise of a, a wonderful leader that he describes here in, in verse 21 is, number one, this person is going to be a native son, he's going to be Jewish, and he's going to be able to approach God. And to approach God, that's the language of priesthood. And so the future ruler of Israel uh, at the end of the age, the kingdom age, is one who's going to be both a king and a priest. And, uh, and only Jesus is, as the writer of the book of Hebrews brings out over and over again in chapters 7 and 8, only Jesus uh, qualifies for what is described here to be both Israel's king and to be her priest, because the kings came from one lineage and the priests came from another lineage. But Jesus is a priest uh, after uh, the priesthood of Melchizedek. We can't even begin to talk about Melchizedek in attempting an overview of the Scriptures, but Jesus is uh, the, the only person who uh, fits this description in verse 21. They did not give him this place in his first coming, but they will in his uh, second, uh, second coming. He then reiterates uh, here the uh, terrifying judgment that's going to come upon uh, the people who attempt to destroy the Jews. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord uh, goes forth with fury. A continuing whirlwind will fall violently on the heads of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not return until He has done it, till He has performed the intents of His heart concerning uh, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. In the latter days, you will uh, consider it. Um, it is interesting, the uh, never bet against the Jews. Just don't bet against the Jews related to anything. I think I've mentioned it before. I mean, if I had uh, something where you're looking say, all right, here's uh, $20,000 to put on, on a bet, or would you, uh, you know, would you put it in with, uh, who's the big uh, investor guy that Berkshire Hathaway, what's the… Uh, What's his name? Buffett, of course. Thank you. Very good. Got it. To invest that in a, a one single stock, which I think it's probably 80000 to get a single uh, share in that, in that outfit at this particular point, or to take that money and embed it against the destruction of the Jewish people. I would, I would go side with the Jewish people every uh, single time. The Bible teaches that in the end times, the last days, as all of these things are kind of approaching, that the Jews will stand alone in the world. And they're already just about there. Only, uh, only uh, our nation is one. It's one of the commendable things about us is standing strong uh, with them as a nation. But it must, it's very lonely to be a Jew. 
uh, in the world today. And it's a vulnerable kind of uh, feeling, I'm sure, to be in that kind of a place if you don't look at it spiritually, look at it in the light of God's promises, and you just look at it at how many billions of angry people that want your destruction live in your immediate neighborhood, and then the indifference of the rest of the nation to whatever happens to you. But God will not allow them to be destroyed. All of this is going to happen exactly as God uh, declared uh, that uh, that, uh, it it would happen. And you look at… It's interesting that, you know, you go to uh, Israel, and uh, on some trips when we've gone there, uh, sometimes in the pact, the orientation pact that they they give the the pilgrims, us who are coming there, it, it will contain a booklet that describes. Um, I wish I'd held on to the booklet; I could probably get it easy enough. But it describes all of the empires, and all of the nations, and all of the peoples who were either actively seeking the destruction of the Jewish people. Uh, or played uh, a significant part in failing to do something uh, good for them when they desperately needed good to be done for them, i.e., the British Empire. And you go back through the British Empire that existed uh, when in, in 1948, and now there is no British Empire, and the treatment of the British Empire of the Jews at that time was awful. It will be a shame upon British history for all of their history. Also, uh, Nazi Germany. We know that uh, we know that Russia has been very hard on the Jews, and they're going to get hammered in the battle related to Gog and Magog. But all the way back. Uh, God, these people that are bent upon this, they end up being destroyed one after the other because God has a plan. He isn't finished with the Jews yet, as we'll see next time. Yes, they have to be saved just like everybody else has to be saved, but, uh, the, uh, but, but God's plan for that, uh, their uh, eyes being opened up to that is something very specific to them and the Lord. So we'll stop there tonight and we'll pick it up, Lord willing, in chapter 31 next week. Let's stand together now and we'll pray.